Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Gus Rabio breaks down chapter 5 of Song of Solomon, teaching on how to respond to hardship and mistreatment. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Well, if you have your Bibles, you could open it up to Song of Solomon chapter 5. I had the option of continuing um, and or picking just a whatever, the, something that the Lord might be just speaking to me, which could have done both, but I chose to do Song of Solomon chapter 5 to continue what we're doing. Um, and also, selfishly speaking, just because it landed on my favorite chapter of the whole book, chapter 5. Um, we're going to pray, and I'm going to tell you why it's my favorite chapter, um, and hope that it might even become some of yours. Probably will. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are in this room. And all I am doing is talking to my brothers and sisters about who you are and who you've shown yourself to me to be. So I just ask for grace, Lord, even as I do that, you'd help me and you'd help them and speak to them, Lord. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of who you are tonight. Help our hearts to not just hear, to, but to receive and to walk out these things that we see in these passages, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, well, the reason why it's my favorite chapter is because it deals with the moment of her offense. It deals with the moment where the bride gets confronted with something very interesting and she gets mistreated. And now she has an opportunity or she has a moment where she has to choose how she's going to respond with mistreatment with offense. And specifically speaking, in this case, we're going we're gonna to read it right now. We're going to read the whole, yeah, we're going to read the whole chapter. And so I'm going to tell you the three things we're going to talk about, and then we're going to read it, and then we're going to go into it. Um, and I'm, thank God it's super early, so I'll probably have you out early today. Maybe. Who said, yeah, right? Um, test me. <laughs> test me. I'll do it. Um, I'm not going to go through all these notes. Uh, you, if you're on the group me, I hope you are. There's 12 pages of notes on there that I have for you. Um, I just have the ones highlighted that I know I'm going to do it. And like I told you before, I'd rather have something physical than something digital in front of me. So that's why I have it. Um, so the three things we're going to talk about is there's a moment, there's three main things in this chapter. There's a moment where the bridegroom or Jesus separates or draws away, withdraws for a moment from the bride. That's the first thing. And it's that moment of how do you and how do I respond when we're not feeling the nearness of the Lord? In the moments where he actually draws away. And there's a reason why the Lord would even do that. Um, and then the second thing that we're going to talk about is that leads to a call and a yearning in her heart 
that positions her now in a place where she gets mistreated by the watchmen of the, uh, the watchmen of the city, which is are a picture of authority, the authority over her life, leaders over her life. And then the third thing is that how does she respond, and what is her answer to a very specific question that comes out of the daughters of Jerusalem? That so it's the the Lord withdrawing her mistreatment and her response. Those are the things we're going to talk about. So, review. The bride prayed, if you remember, as Billy was talking uh, last week, If you, for those of you who were here, the bride prayed for the north winds of adversity and the south winds of blessing. And it's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous prayer, and it's a very, uh, um, it's a prayer that the Lord would answer, actually. And it is that if you're asking God, send the north winds and send the, send the south winds. And again, if you haven't heard last week's message, you can look it up on Spotify. Look up Gatekeepers Podcast and you can hear Billy mention and talk about that uh, a little bit more than I'm going to talk about it right now. I'm just doing a review for you guys. But that's a, that's a prayer and, and an invitation for her to tell the Lord, do what you have to do in order for me to be fully yours. I don't know if you've ever prayed prayers like that. Um, for example, Matthew chapter 6, where it says, Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be satisfied. I don't know if you've ever taken just those simple passages and have just asked the Lord, make me the hungriest person that I know. I don't know if any of us would actually dare pray that. Make me the hungriest person that I know. And when we're singing songs like, Holy, I don't know if you've ever paused just in the moments of worship and actually think to, just think to yourself, what am I really asking you right now? If God, and that's why, let's just be honest, God does it in small increments because if he were to show his holiness in a moment, we'd be dead. But at the same time, we'd fall into great conviction and possibly our own shame because he is holy and we are not. And so when we're asking him to do that, we're actually asking him, God, would you release the fear of the Lord? Would you draw me close enough? And so and what does that mean? In other words, to be close to holiness, to God who is holy, you must also be holy. And that has many implications in your life. That if we're asking God, show me your holiness, it's because you're actually asking God, make me holy. And if we're actually, and if we're asking God, make me holy, that means a lot of things have to change in a moment in your heart and in your life. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Anyways, she had the confidence to pray for the bitter north winds of testing. And it's, in, again, it's in Song of Solomon 4.16, it's right, which is right before the beginning of chapter 5, where she says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden. That is the spices and so on. And she says, Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruit. So in other words, this is what happens. This is the time when the garden of her heart becomes his garden. So now what's happening is that she sees her life as his garden as, instead of hers. In other words, she is now in a moment where she realizes my life is not my own. It's yours. My life is not my own. It's yours. Again, I, 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 my, my hope and my prayer is that as, 
as you're hearing these things, that you would be even conversating with the Lord as I'm talking. And if you don't hear me because you're conversating with the Lord, praise God, that is fine with me. Jesus enjoys his inheritance. So Jesus has an inheritance in his people. In other words, that moment where we actually realize I'm no longer my own, I'm actually his. And in fact, whether we see it or not, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I'm shedding some light on our hearts. When you actually have prayed, if for, if for those of us in this room who have actually prayed to give our lives to the Lord, that's actually the transaction that happened in that moment. You are no longer your own. You are his. And that is not a bad deal. That is not a bad deal. It was actually, it's the best you would ever get in your whole life. The fact that you would get, that you can give up your life and lay it down, that it's full of shame, depression, whatever it might be, all the things that you carry, that you and I carry, just on a daily, just because we're so human, and we get to have him in exchange, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That is an amazing deal. That is why we sing and do what we do and dance and paint as well now. Jesus calls her to the fellowship of suffering. So before we get there, I'm just going to read chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can read it as well. I'm going to start from uh, verse 2. And she says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love. Now, sorry, I'm going to pause as we're going. Just get a glimpse as what he's calling her. He says, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Verse 3, I have taken off, she, this is her response, I have taken off my robe, how can I put it on again? And I have washed my feet, how can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with the liquid myrrh, and on the handles, on the handles of the lock. Verse 6, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, she says, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am lovesick. And then they ask the daughters of Jerusalem, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you should charge us? And this is her response, verse 10. My beloved is white and ruddy chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and, and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. Verse 14, his hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is, is carved ivory, Inlaid with sapphires, his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as, as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. 
This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So I hope you saw it. There's the moment where he is at the door, and he is calling for her to come, and she's already taken off her robe. She's basically in bed because it's the nighttime. And when she hears the door and she hears his voice, she wakes up. She gets up and wants to respond. And when she goes to respond, he's not there. And she goes out to look for him, right? She goes out to look for him, and she gets found by the watchmen, those who have had a relationship with her or have known her, and they wound her. They, 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 uh, they mistreat her. But she does not come out offended out of that. And there's, 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 there's a, a key thing in this passage, and, and I'll, um, Lord willing, I'll, I'll probably share my story in regards to uh, uh, one of the, the I, I would say, the, the biggest season I went in regards to the Lord uprooting offense and bitterness in my life and, and how this passage played a part in that. And it is out of that place that she says, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find him, Basically, she's saying this, tell him that I'm not offended. I'm just sick with love. I'm lovesick. And then they ask the question, what is your beloved more than another that you would even ask us this, that you would charge us? And then she begins to describe him from head to toe. She begins to give the description of who he is. And again, if we get there, if we don't, they're in the notes and you guys can find out what those descriptions are. Because I just want to hit on at least those three, those three things that I told you. So, Jesus calls her to fellowship, the fellowship of her suffering. This is, again, so the reason when we look at the, the just, I'm just going to give you this little picture that has helped my heart. When I've read the Song of Solomon and the, the moments that I've given time to just go slowly into it, it has helped my heart to realize like her story is actually my story. There are so many similarities, and there are things that are happening. Because the whole point, I'm going to give you one of the main points of the book as I see it, is to come to a mature love for Jesus. It's the maturity of love in your life. The things that we go through, the things that, that happen in our lives, such as mistreatment and offense, all, the, all those things are playing a part to mature love in you. To mature the love that you have for Jesus in you. So in verse 2, she says, I sleep and my heart is awake. And then towards the end of verse 2, she says, my head is covered with dew. Where he says to her, sorry, my head is covered with dew, the locks of the drops of the night. This is painting a picture of Jesus revealing himself as the one who suffered in Gethsemane. If you remember in John chapter 17, in the still of the night, he invites his disciples to come with him. And he asks them, would you come and tarry with me for an hour? And it is in the night, and he is covered in dew, and he is sweating drops of blood in the garden. And he's revealing her, himself to her as, as, a, as a suffering servant. He calls her to join him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to say this. If that phrase, fellowship of the sufferings, doesn't make sense yet, all I'm going to say is just give it some time. There is, there is, a, a, there is a level of friendship that the Lord draws us to that only seems to happen in times of suffering. 
in times of hardship where things are hard. The problem is that we think because of our, I'm not saying you, I'm probably talking, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the person next to you. It's that our Western mentality tells us I should not be going through anything because I love Jesus. That's prosperity gospel. When my dad passed away about eight and a half years ago, the number one question I screamed and cried in the car as I was driving to my house is why? As if to say, did you not see all the years that I've been giving to you? Why? And the Lord had to gently rebuke me days later. That's not who I am. You don't love me, and I haven't called you to love me because of what I'm going to give you or how I'm going to make you prosper or the people around you. In that, even in that moment of suffering and feeling this long suffering of the loss of my dad, the Lord is drawing me in, and I get to experience him in a way that otherwise I think I would have never. Continuing. <clears throat> so it's this. She responds in obedience, and it's, it's this, that she, uh, what happens now is that it's twofold test, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So first, Jesus Test, and by test, this is what I want you to hear. I don't want you to hear that I'm saying that he is, he is tempting her. That's not what I'm saying. By test, I'm talking about the process of maturing. He's taking her through a process of, of maturing her by withdrawing his presence from her. And second, he allows, not necessarily approves, the spiritual authorities to mistreat her. And she responds in love. And, this way, and, and again, I've talked in regards to the fellowship of the sufferings, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, for those of you who are taking notes or want to say it's that. And, and Paul is just saying that I may know him. And he goes, and the fellowship of his sufferings. That, that is the path. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 is where he says, I count all things as lost just to know him. There's something that Paul tapped into that God wants to take us into every day because of Ephesians chapter 1, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that we get to see him, so that when we see him, it's easy to step into the sufferings with him. Why? Because there's a partnership with who he is in that place. Because we get to see and, and, and step into a moment and realize the, 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 um, the American mentality would be, Jesus, what do I do to get out of it? What Jesus wants to draw us into is, what did you do to go through it? Help me walk through this. Rather than take me out of it now, save me, and he probably will, there's so much friendship in, help me walk through this. Would you show me how you walk through this? If you picture, if you, if what, I, there's a, the Lord is, is good and has gone through so much hardship himself when he was on the earth that, that he identifies himself with us in our hardships. So Jesus calls her to open her heart for him in order to experience new depths because he's calling her out into this this, this moment of suffering. He's calling her out into this as in before, in before the moment he withdraws. He is now taking full possession of her heart for himself. 
as, as he declared in Song 5.1. And Jesus knocks on the door of her heart in answer to her prayers. So him doing this is part of the answer to what she prayed about the, the north and the south winds. What is about to happen to her is the answer to what she prayed herself. For example, I'm going to make it very simple as if I were explaining it to my eight-year-old son. Ask Holy Spirit for patience, I tell him, Judah. Ask Holy Spirit for patience, and guess what the Lord gave him? Three little brothers. Right? Whatever, I'm sure that there are probably prayers like that that you've prayed, like, Lord, make me humble. And then, boom, you get the most arrogant person in front of you. And you have to find to, you, you, you have to, you have to draw out of the Holy Spirit to respond in, humili in humility and love and not lay the fivefold ministry on those people sometimes. Right? The guys are like, mm -hmm, yeah, <laughs> I like it. So he knocks, and it refers to God's initiative and desire to bring us forward. It is God taking the initiative to bring us in into these new facets of who he is. And opening the door speaks of him entering to new measures of, com of communion. Because he puts his hand on the latch and she hears it and her heart just begins to awake. And we've, we've gone through those passages already where she says, like, do not awaken or arouse love until it so desires. And when she hears him and she hears the door, it's, she knows the, the, his nearness. He is there. He is close. And so also, in, in, in this a contrast to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I want to give you another picture. It's in Psalm 23, um, where in it's verse 4, where he says that he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemy. But before that also, actually, it says that, that I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because... The psalmist is talking about being led by Jesus, by the shepherd, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because what, what and, and if we, and we're sometimes we're so quick to miss it, he's, he's saying it's merely a shadow. In light of me walking with my shepherd, with my beloved, it's merely a shadow. And then there's that next moment in verse 4 where he says, he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And it's this picture of him sitting down and dining with you. And the picture that I got one day years ago when I was in a prayer set singing from that passage is that I was going through so much. It was, it was such an interesting day. I was, I, was, I was having such a great morning. And I show up to the prayer room. This is us back in L.A., and I was, and it's, it, I think it's, I had one at nine in the morning and I go up to the keyboard. As soon as I sat down, I felt horrible. I felt like such a bad mood. Somebody walked in that I'm not happy with. And I'm like, and I'm, I, I just had all these things were stirring and I'm like, I'm not going to sing from Psalm 23 when I'm like trying to sing a song. I'm like, I'm so mad right now. Like I, I was, I was out of it. Like it, it was just bad. And then I started singing from Psalm 23, that verse. And all these things that, that were in my heart just uh, harboring there, they were coming to the surface. And then as I'm singing verse 4, 
where the Lord says, the psalmist says that he sets up a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And the song that started coming out of me is the Lord saying, I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm not asking for your two cents in the matter. I'm just asking you to sit down and dine with me. My, the, the invitation that I'm bringing with this is that it doesn't matter where you are and what you're going through, that if you would just pause and sit down and dine with him, speak to him, you go to a deeper and a different level of friendship than you are in this moment. And the Lord loves to do that, and I really enjoy it. So the new season of trusting his leadership, she steps into... <clears throat> So she hears his voice again, as she did in song, uh, in chapter 2, verse 8. And Jesus reveals himself again as her beloved, the voice of the bridegroom. So here's, here's, here's some things I want to point out that were just very incredible. And it's in verse uh, chapter 2 where he says those four times. He calls her by four different names. And he says, my sister, my love, my dove, and my perfect one. Again, he, he's drawing out those things out of us. He's drawing those things out of us. When he is sitting, when he's, when he's calling us, when he's calling, when he's speaking these things over us, he's drawing things out of us that otherwise we, we probably wouldn't even know to dig deeper into. For example, what I'm asking you is, or inviting you to, is that if you haven't already, take these passages, take the passages that Billy has gone through the week, come at least one hour into the prayer room in the next, in the coming week, and talk to the Lord. Take these passages uh, speak them to him as if they're yours, as if they're you, and you put yourself in that position, and you say those passages and, and ask him, what are your affections for me? What are you feeling right now for me? What are your thoughts about me? What is on your heart? I go, I go as far as asking him, how was your day? What are you thinking right now? There's a, there's a level of friendship that the Lord wants to draw us into that goes beyond, Lord, give me this, help me this, help me there, bless me here. And so he calls her my sister, and it signifies his identification with her humanity. In other words, he endured uh, indescribable suffering to be like his brethren. That's in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. So he calls her my sister. And in case you didn't know, Jesus is our older brother. Okay. He calls her my love. Reminds her of his tender love for her. So here, here's the thought. Affection-based or intimacy-based obedience is the strongest type of obedience because it flows from experiencing Jesus' affection. In other words... The, 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 the closer you draw to the Lord, the more obedient and convicted you are in the place that you are before him, in your identity before him. Here, here's the challenge with any generation. It doesn't matter what age you are. It's that when the poop hits the fan, a lot of us just leave. And what I mean by that is that because we haven't waited for love to mature, we're quick to run away, as if to say, this is not God. 
I'm just going to give you something that I value and in hope that as you get older, you would value too. Before I say what I value, I'm going to say what I think is one of the rarest things any person can give. One of the rarest things that we can give or a, a, a young person or a person who says that and declares that they love Jesus is remain faithful. It's faithfulness. So with that being said, one of the things that I personally value is faithfulness over giftedness. We live in a time and generation where just where giftedness gets celebrated and it has a platform, whatever you want to call it. But the Lord is looking for faithfulness. That's why I, I, I've said this some months ago where it's the things that I asked the Lord to help me with is to go low and slow and to be faithful and grateful. And he's, he's trying to draw these things out of her. He's trying to draw these things out of you. The faithfulness, that you would remain steadfast. That when things get hard, you don't think that the best option for you is to run away. Is to leave. Here's why. Because anyone can quit but a person in love. And then he calls her my dove. Speaks of her singleness, of her of singleness of mind and her loyalty. And then Billy has touched on that in regards to her faithfulness to him. And they are known, and, and doves are known for their loyalty. Their dove's eyes cannot focus on two things. They don't have a peripheral vision. They just can only focus on one thing. There's a loyalty to them. And the perfect one, where so he, he mentions, her, sorry, her intentions are to be perfect, are, are to perfectly obey God. Perfect refers to being mature. She has mature obedience, and he's calling her that, my perfect one. She, he has, he's already seeing, in this second half of Song of Solomon, of this book, he's already seeing her, her love mature. To the point where, in chapter 8, we get to what we were singing tonight. When we were singing, you won't relent until you have it all. You will not stop until I am all yours. You will go through whatever measure to make sure that I am yours. And then, let's just continue before I go on and rants. Because there's so much. Okay, guys. I'm going to skip some parts because I, I really want to get to the part in regards to offense and, and her response. But... So her heart yearns with love for Jesus as she instantly arises to open the door to the Jesus of Gethsemane. So when she finally gets up to answer it, he's not there. It says, my beloved put his hand on the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. And I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, with fingers of liquid myrrh. On the handles of the lock. So Jesus putting his hands on the, uh, 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 by the latch refers to him helping her unlock the door of her heart. The lock on her heart speaks of her thoughts and emotions and affections and decisions. So here's the first thing. 
And we'll be done soon, guys. First test, Jesus withdraws his presence from her. And I'll read it for you, verse 6. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped out when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The Lord hides himself from the bride on two occasions. And in Song 5, this, the one we're reading, Jesus calls her my perfect one and opens her heart to him. Uh, and she opens her heart to him as her heart yearns. Her greatest desire is to experience God's presence. So Jesus is calling for her. And she, when she finally gets up to respond, he's gone. Have you ever felt moments or seasons of your life where you just, some of you might call it, I'm in the wilderness. I don't know if you do. And you're like, I feel like I don't feel his nearness right now. <laughs> the Lord is drawing something out of you. The, the problem is that we, we start thinking that we are that we're, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm doing something wrong or maybe I'm not doing enough. And we start, like, an, like, a roller, like a roller index in our head, we start going through every single thing we've ever done and we start repenting like, and start throwing a bunch of Hail Marys up there and like, Jesus, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But he's trying to draw something out of you into maturity. And how he does it is that this begins now her journey into mistreatment. Raise your hand if you've ever been mistreated. So here's, here's what I want to, here's, here's the point I want to park it in then for a bit before we finish, is this. When, I, when I'm looking at this, and I'm talking about mistreatment from leadership, okay? Mistreatment, and, and some of you don't, please do not raise your hand. Some of you have been mistreated by leadership in previous experiences, other churches or other places, or, or authorities at, at your work or school, whatever it might be. There might have been mistreatment or some sense of abuse that you've just gone through. And she comes out of that moment, and rather than being offended with the fact that he's not near, one, and two, I just got really mistreated, she says, I'm sick with love. I am sick with love. I'm lovesick. If you see him, tell him that I want him. So in 2016, I'll share this really briefly with you guys. I don't think I've ever shared this out loud or at least on a platform. In 2016, the Lord did the best thing he can do for my heart in my life. He set me up for success in waking me up super, super early in the mornings. And by super early, I mean 4.30 and on some occasions, by God's grace, 3.30. And that was just about every single day except Sundays. Um, and I would wake up. I'd be in the living room. This is early 2016. That was when um, I did a Nazarite vow, for those of you who heard of that or heard me share about that. That was in 2016. I grew out my hair, did a Nazarite vow for about six years. Um, and it was that same year that I would wake up super early to spend time with the Lord. And all I would do is sit in the dark in my living room and just through the moonlight that would come in through the backyard uh, from the, the big glass windows that, that were there or doors. 
uh, and sit in the dark and just read my Bible through the moonlight and just talk to the Lord in the mornings. And I felt like I was coming to a place of like, oh, like, I don't know you as much as I think I do. There's still more. There's still so much more. And that's when I began to speak to him as I would a friend because I realized I call him friend, but I don't talk to him like one. And again, if you were here in July when I shared, that's where I got those, I mean, there's 50, but I gave you guys 25 questions that I asked Jesus during gospel meditation where I'm, I'm simply even asking him, hey, what were, what were the faces on the disciples when you said that? I'm not trying to draw information out of him. I'm just trying to get to know his heart. The, the one thing that David was known for, knowing the affections of God. And it was months of the Lord helping me and wake up that early to spend time with him. Until August of 2016, things started to uproot from my heart and started to surface. And it was specific, um, I mean, to some extent you could even call it verbal abuse and things from leadership and so the, the, the parentheses I want to put in there is that when, I, when I'm talking about being mistreated, I'm not talking about you walk by the hallway, the pastor walked by and didn't say hi. Like, oh, the pastor mistreated me. He doesn't like me. Or, or I don't know, think, think, you get what I'm saying? Things of that nature. I'm talking about somebody got in your face and spoke some wicked things over you. Or somebody did some things over you and did some things to you that were just pure evil. That they were just not God. And there is and there's no there's no there's no way around it. You just can't paint a, a you can't paint that picture pretty, if that makes sense. Like it was just ugly. It was just bad. And I and I had experience multiple times like that. And this started the Lord started bringing these things up to the surface. And I remember um it was the end of 2000 it was the end of August 2016 and I'm like oh god I'm angry and bitter at these people and I started naming these people to the lord and all of a sudden I was like I don't even want to show up and see these people anymore and then the next week uh we had a guest speaker and she um anyways I'm sitting at the front of worship and I'm crying, and I'm just there, and I'm, I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I need you to help me with the conversation of my heart because I am bitter. I cannot see these people and be happy. I am I'm actually angry when I see them. And I am hearing the words that were spoken over me when I see them or when I'm in this place. I'm, not, I'm no longer feeling like I feel you in this moment right now. Because I'm in this place as I'm talking to him. And I'm like, so I'm, I need you to help me with the conversation of my heart. And I need you to help me with my bitterness. And then the lady comes up. And they introduce her. And she's, she goes up to, to start sharing. She prays. And the first thing she says is the first, literally the first two things she says. is like, today we're going to talk about the conversation of our hearts as it relates to bitterness. And I'm like, God, thank you. 
And I, I kid you not, those notes and those things helped me. I wouldn't say they saved my life, but they helped me at least gear my conversation in a wise manner. And one of the things that I got that just gripped me and, I've, and, I, and I stick with it is that I've never voiced details and I've never spoken ill about them to the point where if, in, in fact, I'll go as far as to say this, Billy is sharing at that church that I was at right now, actually, this weekend. They're having a, um, I think it's 15 years now, of the house of prayer that I helped when, when, it, was, when it started in 2009, that I helped pioneer with them. And Billy's sharing at it now to the point where if you were to see me talk to the people that I won't mention to you, because even if I did, you don't know them, but you wouldn't think that there was ever anything. You would think that I'm faking it if I were to tell you the details of the story. But that's, and I'm saying all that to say that that's how much God restores those things and draws you close into friendship. That you, you, you wouldn't even be able to tell that these things were, were true. And then that began a series of three and a half months of the Lord waking me up every morning. And I'm spending time with the Lord every single morning. And every single morning now, all I can do is cry. And every night, you can ask my wife, who's not here tonight, Every single night, without fail, I'd cry. And I'm just telling the Lord. And I'm telling her, and I'm telling her, I can't. I can't go tomorrow. Like, I can't do this anymore. Every single night, I'm telling her, like, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Like, I can't go on tomorrow. Like, I don't want to see anybody. And she's the only one that I'm able to sit with and cry with in the dark as we're laying in the bed. And it was just... And all she knows how to do with me is cry with me. Which is probably the best thing she could have done for me. She just put her hand on my shoulder and she'd just cry with me. And every single night without fail and every single morning, Lord, I can't today. I just can't do it. And I knew in my heart I wasn't giving up on the Lord. I'm like, I'm just giving up on your people. I'm giving up on your church. Like, I, 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 it, it literally just... I have hope for the church now because the Lord obviously helped me. But it was like, Lord, no, I can't do that. And the reason why I said that the Lord set me up for success is because he helped me set my gaze on him. And that when the time of testing and these heavy pressures and these things, and still mistreatment kept happening, and they didn't even know that I was feeling these things about them. But mistreatment kept hap happening in me that the Lord began to speak one phrase specifically over me. And it's the phrase that has delivered me from so many things throughout the years. And is, I delight in you. I delight in you. And that became enough for me that the Lord delighted in me. And it's, it's a picture of where she's at. It's where she finally finds herself. I'm his. I'm fully his. And he's mine. And she's, she finds herself in this place of mistreatment, and she literally gets beaten, and she is not offended because her eyes are locked in on who he is. And I know that this 
part right here might sound a little bit cliche, but I tell you that if you give long moments of time in the presence of Jesus in your hard seasons, his countenance, his beauty is enough to deliver you from that place. The thing is that we want to, we want it to be fast. We want to get out of those seasons quickly. What I'm inviting you to is the long suffering. What I'm asking you to is that you'd give the Lord time and you'd set your gaze on him. Because out of that place, she is no longer offended. She's saying, I'm not offended that you're not near at this moment and that this happened to me. I'm sick with love. I want you. I need you. I need you. Her desire, and here's what happens, is that her, her desire coming out of that place and saying, I want you, I'm not offended, I'm sick with love, raises the question, who is he that you still love him? Who is he to you that you still even want to go after him? And she begins to describe who he is to her. And again, in the notes, you, could, you can spend time there and go deeper in regards to who he is. But if, he, if I could, I'm just going to go into this one little part, and then we're going to end here. Is that, I'm just going to read these, the parts that I have for that part in regards to the second test that she gets. It's, it's the persecution that she gets from, from the watchman. And it's again in verse 7. She says, and it says this, The watchman who went about the city found me. And they struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. The watchmen and keepers of the walls speak of the leaders of spiritual authorities who guard the walls of, of God's city to protect his people. And they strike her and wound her. Get this. They wound her because they had a genuine relationship with her. She had one with them before they rejected and persecuted her. Here's why, Here's why I say that. Because a stranger can publish or, or, or bring accusations against you, but only a friend can wound you. So being wounded in the house of friends is part of God's pattern that even Jesus endured. And again, there's a reference there in Psalm 55. So the leaders taking away her veil speaks of, of, of them removing her spiritual covering, therefore her place of function in the body. Again, a stranger can publish accusations against you, but only a, only a friend can wound you. And her response of humility is, is this, is that her humility is seen in her teachable spirit to, to the immature daughters of Jerusalem, where, where she's saying, like, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I'm lovesick. And she is lovesick for Jesus instead of offended at him for allowing this, the, these tests to come. I'm going to read you this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. It's, and this is one of my favorite passages as it relates to trials. And I, I just go back to it in, in hard times, and I just thank the Lord for this. And it says this in verse 6, In this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, uh, though, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, this is that drawing away, that moment of, of him stepping away for a moment. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And it is in filled of glory. And it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, that is the, the salvation of your souls. And I'll leave you with these notes. I'm looking for them now because I have them in here. I told you I'll get out of here. We'll get you guys out of here early. Here it is. Sorry, guys. So when he invites her in, Kenneth, if you're going to join us, you can go up. Thank you. So when he invites her into the night, he doesn't leave her. It's an invitation into a deeper place of intimacy. Again, the invitation into the sufferings of Christ or into your own suffering alongside with him, it's a different place of friendship with the Lord. And I want to encourage you, do not be in a hurry to get out of that place. Do not be in a hurry to rush out of trials. Here, here's, here's, a, here's a thought. There's going to come up, what I want to encourage you to is do not waste a good trial. In the age to come, whether when you die or the Lord returns, you're not going to have the opportunity for trials anymore. You're not going to have the opportunity to bestow forgiveness on someone who has hurt you and abused you. Right now, you offering up a sacrifice, a living sacrifice at that in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And in this case of forgiveness towards people who have mistreated you, that is a very special offering of love unto the Lord. Because we're entering into his sufferings when we do that. By entering into his sufferings, is if you haven't yet, please, please take some time and read and go through the Gospels. And you see over and over just how Jesus was treated by people who were strangers, by his own disciples, when they abandoned him, when they betrayed him, when he got betrayed by Judas, when he was flogged, when he was mocked, when he was beaten down. And so if you look at him in the, in the Gospels, you get to see the moments that he's been mistreated, he's been misunderstood. I, I don't know about you guys. I, I, I'm just going to say this. I used to declare things over myself and not realize that I was coming into agreement with the accuser of the brethren. 
I used to call myself the the man of mis uh, the 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 man of mis uh, how does I, I can't even remember now because I don't call myself that anymore. Praise God. Basically, the guy who's always misunderstood. I I just titled myself that. I'm the man who's always misunderstood. Everywhere I went, I just felt I was just being misunderstood. Like I was too much for people. Where, I'm just going to be very truthful with you guys. You're probably going to get a better conversation out of me one-on-one than you are at the pulpit, honestly. <laughs> Come on, somebody say amen. I'm Troy. All right, there you go. <laughs> That's why Troy's doing this. He's like, am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, you will definitely get a better conversation out of me over coffee than at the pulpit. For some reason, I just, I don't know, I just gather my thoughts a lot better at a coffee table or at the dining table more than I do at the pulpit. But, and I'm saying that to buy time because I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Can't you remember? <laughs> just being honest with you guys. What was I saying before you guys interrupted me? I was declaring, I was de- I was declaring things over myself. The guy who was always misunderstood, and I started believing it. I started believing it. I was like, I'm just, I can't be me because everywhere I go, I'm just being misunderstood. And 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 we're like, or the one that just always ends up feeling like people need to help him. Because I'll sit at the table with you and more than likely I'm going to share either what's currently happening in my life or some season that I went through that was very difficult. And what started off as a friend-to-friend conversation has over and over turned into, oh, actually let me help you now, Gus. Like, and now I, lost, I lose friends in the midst of all that because all of a sudden everybody just feels they need to help me and save me. I'm like, I'm not asking you to do that I'm actually inviting you into my story and it's the same thing with the Lord like I'm, I'm just invite him into your story walk have him walk with you and so I, I would declare these things over myself and to come to find out Lord you understand me that's all that matters I'm understood by you I am seen by you. I am loved by you. I am delighted in by you. And it's the thing that saves her from offense. You delighted me. You love me. And the reason why it saves her is because that's okay. They mistreated me. I just want you. I just want you. And that's, and it begs the question out of them, who is he? Like, after what you went through, you still want him. I I will tell you this. It is a beautiful way of of evangelism. (laughs) She begins to describe him. And in the next chapter, 
the first, they ask her another question. And then they, they ask her, like, where is he that we can find him with you? We want him too. And again, that picture of him withdrawing for a moment is this. And it's not that he's pulling away. It's that he wants to pull her closer by inviting her into, in, um, by inviting her to know another facet of him, the suffering servant. And it's one of the key points of the chapter. And then how she emerges completely undefended with him and more in love with him. Jesus is coming for an undefended bride. Guys, if me or a leader or someone giving you a bad look and you just like, whatever, like, and you're just offended by that, guys, something's coming that is just going to be harder than that. And if we can't survive small little persecutions, not, I don't even call that a persecution. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But the little, here's what I'll say is that what I've come to find out is that the little moments of pressure, which pressure is good, and you and I, you could take this or not. I invite. I would ask you to invite the Lord to bring a little bit more to your life. Those pressures, those 100 bits of pressure, and moments of hardships are helpful, so that when a big one comes, you have you have longevity, you have depth with Him. And you're not running away. And you're actually going into it with him. Because we see people who go through major things, big things, and all we see is the big thing. But there was a lot of little things that got them there to be able to go through the big thing. Or we see people with platforms and influence and anointing and whatever it might be but we don't know about the thousands little yes that they said that led them there and the last thing I'll close with is this you have an opportunity to talk to the Lord primarily about three things and the one I want to encourage you to stick on is the one in between. And it and I'm going I'll give you the passage for it is um, Mark 12:30 or Matthew 22 verse 37 where it's talking about the first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind. So Mark 12:30 adds the word strength. And the picture is this is that you have an opportunity to talk to the Lord I'm trying to give you a gauge for where you are in regards to um, having that first commandment conversation on a daily basis. We could either talk to him about all the opportunities that we have. Like, Lord, look, I got this position open to me. I got this thing offered to me. I got this coming up. I have whatever it might be. I have these opportunities and blessings and favor, as we call it in the American church, whatever. Or you have the opportunity to talk to him about all your hardships and all you want to do is complain. All you want to do is, is throw people under the bus and all these things. Or you can just come straight to the middle. Whether it's the blessing, whether it's the hardship, all I know is that I want my number one conversation with you to be about my love for you and your love for me. 
I want to grow in love. I want to grow in the aspect of love. That when you step foot into this prayer room, when you step foot into here to hear a message and to worship Jesus, it, that it would be that love would mature in you. That you would be steadfast for years, for decades to come. And that when the hardship comes, you're, you have depth. Your roots have gone down deep. If you're going through something that you feel is a hardship or it's difficult, I just want to draw your, the attention of your heart to see that God is drawing and pulling something out of you. It's calling you into something. And the question would not be to ask why, but to ask him what. What are you doing and what are you producing in me? So you might find yourself in one of these three moments of the bride of Song of Solomon 5. And you might be feeling like you're in a temporary moment where you're longing for his nearness and not experiencing it just yet. But you know deep down inside you love him. Or you're feeling like you're going through your own moment of mistreatment. Or it could even be just, you're just going through something hard. You might be going through something so hard that you think, I am not coming out of this alive. Just want to draw your heart's attention to set your gaze on him. He delights in you. He delights in you. There was a, I'll share this quick story if I could. In that same season in 2016, you can keep your eyes closed. I'm, I'm just going to pray for us right now, but I just want to share this. I was uh, supposedly directing the house of prayer there that we had, but going through all this and being phased out of a lot of things, and there was so many things happening around me and to me, legitimate things. And I was in this meeting where now I had to present some graphics that I created for the conference that we're about to have for the house of prayer there. And everybody goes and presents their stuff and I finally go and present mine. And I'm at the table and it gets chewed up like there's no tomorrow. Like the stuff that I was working on and 
If you're creative in the room, you know exactly what that feels like. You just spent some, you spent your heart and your time on that, and all of a sudden everybody just chews it up, and it's like, that sucks. For the creatives in the room, I know you, you know what that feels like. Like, you're saying that I suck. And I was like, okay. I closed my laptop. I was like, okay, I'm going to work on something new. And I sit back, and I'm holding back the tears. And all I can say is, you delight in me. Jesus, you delight in me. And it was interesting because because I was t- self-titling myself to the guy who's always misunderstood. I went from pastoring teens, pastoring young adults, leading a house of prayer, um, being the worship director also at the church, leading worship amongst all these other things and then I came to this point where and I'm like talking to the Lord and I'm like Lord and now all I'm doing is graphics and all I could know and all all I knew in my heart was like but you delighted me and that was 2016 fast forward to last December I was sitting in a room with Billy and he's asking me about joining the staff in the house of prayer and he says to me you could do this you could lead this you could do that and you could do this he goes and all I have you doing is graphics and it didn't hit me till the next day it was like a full circle moment for me and had nothing to do with Billy but it felt like the Lord was like I remember I remember your story. I remember those things. And those things that I just made myself feel bad about, the Lord's like, I remember and I know. He makes all things work for good for those who love him. Jesus, I just pray. Well, if I could, I just want to ask. It, it, you don't have to come up here. I'm just going to ask you to, with courage, if you would raise your hand. If, you're, if you feel like you're going through a season of hardship or mistreatment, you could raise your hand. And also, if you're feeling like you're in a moment of feeling the Lord, like you're longing for His nearness and you're not feeling it right now, but you know you deeply love Him, you could just raise your hand. We just, I just want people around you just to lay their hand on If you see a hand up, just put your hand on their shoulder. Jesus, we love you. Just thank you, Lord, for the courage of those who raise their hands. Pray that their love would go deep. You would let their love go deep. 
let love go deep. Cause their hearts to yearn, to long for nearness, Lord. The midst of the trial and the hardship and the temporary light affliction which produces in them an eternal weight of glory. Pull out of them that which you're trying to pull out of them and produce in them what only these moments can produce. And that they would come out on the other side unoffended. They would come out on the other side in love, lovesick and unoffended. Lovesick, unoffended and proclaiming to the world of who you are. The beauty of your leadership. The beauty of who you are in their life. So even now, Lord, we declare we trust your leadership. We trust how you're leading, Lord. We trust what you're doing in in all of our lives, Lord. For those who raise their hand, Lord, we trust what you're doing in them, Lord. We pray for grace. Pray for strength, Lord. We pray for lovesick hearts. But as as it has been said and sung, if they don't quit, they win, Lord. So I just pray, God, for them, for us. Let love go deeply in us. In Jesus' name, we ask you, God, help us, Lord. Bless us, Lord, as we head home. And that you would help us in our conversations as we go into these conversations of Song of Solomon in deeper measure, into deeper friendship and intimacy with you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.